Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Cluster B personality disorders are characterized by dramatic, overly emotional, and unpredictable thoughts and behavior. From Ars Longa Media, this is Cluster B, scientifically informed, expert insights into the four Cluster B personality types, antisocial, borderline, narcissistic, and histrionic personality disorder. Here's today's host, Dr. Todd Grande. Hello, this is Dr. Grande. Today's question asks, in the world of counseling and psychotherapy, can a clinician have narcissistic personality disorder? So would that work? Would they be competent if they had that disorder? And would that represent an impairment? So essentially, is it appropriate or healthy for a person with NPD to be a practicing clinician? Now, there's a lot of information about narcissistic personality disorder and the destruction that it causes to other people. The disorder is characterized by a number of unhelpful behaviors, including manipulation, lack of empathy, sense of entitlement, and arrogance. So it's easy to see why somebody might be concerned that some counselors or other related psychotherapists may have this disorder. So an important note here, NPD is just one facet of competence. Like if somebody had this disorder, that would be concerning from a clinical point of view, from determining if somebody's fit to be a clinician, but it's not the only thing that we look at. Competence involves a lot of different angles and personality traits like narcissism and psychopathy and even histrionic, for example, could be problematic. But again, we look at all these together when trying to determine this. So I'm going to talk about NPD and how somebody with this disorder may not be a good fit for counseling, but it's important to keep in mind how competency is actually measured. So what measures are in place to prevent a person with NPD from becoming a counselor? And are there any measures in place to stop a counselor with NPD from practicing if they've already made it into the profession? So are there safeguards to prevent people from getting into the profession if they have NPD? And if they're already in the profession, what can we do about it? To answer these questions, I have to explain a little bit about how somebody becomes a counselor, because there are different steps in the process with different levels of scrutiny, so different safeguards in place, and potential actions that can be taken. Here, I'll be talking about licensed clinicians. So this would include licensed professional counselors, licensed clinical social workers, licensed psychologists, and licensed marriage and family therapists. For a person who is trying to become one of these types of clinicians, they first need to earn a bachelor's degree. After this, they need to be accepted into a graduate degree program for that field. So if they're interested in counseling, it'd be a counseling program. If they're interested in marriage and family therapy, it would be a marriage and family therapy program, and so on. 
So this would be a master's or a doctorate, depending on the discipline. In most instances, the program that a person graduates from must be accredited in accordance with the standards of that field if the individual is going to pursue a license after they graduate. So there's an independent accrediting body that holds the programs to certain standards. This increases the quality of the education, and it ensures that every student learns what they need to learn to be an effective clinician according, again, to the standards of that profession. After graduation, the person must complete postgraduate hours in the field. The number of hours varies greatly based on the jurisdiction. So where I live in Delaware, for example, we see that to become an LPCMH, a licensed professional counselor of mental health, somebody has to earn at least 3,200 hours after graduation. The postgraduate work must be performed under supervision as well. And there are hour requirements in that arena too. Using Delaware as an example, again, it's 100 hours of supervision. So we see a number of hours have to be accrued after graduation. So just getting the degree is not the same thing as getting a license. There's a whole nother step here that's actually fairly significant. So we see a substantial investment here. A bachelor's degree is usually about four years, a master's degree about three years. For some who earn a PhD, that's another four years on top of the master's, and then two to four years to earn the postgraduate hours. So after all this, anywhere from nine to 15 years of education experience, depending on the route that somebody goes, then the individual can apply for a license. So at what points in all of those processes could somebody with NPD be detected and stopped from continuing forward in the field? So where are the safeguards located in these processes? How might somebody with NPD still manage to get through at each stage, right? So starting with the bachelor's degree, Regardless of the major, the chances of detection at this level are actually fairly low. A bachelor's degree of some type, of course, is required, but it doesn't necessarily have to be in a mental health field. Because many people who go to earn a bachelor's degree are relatively young, some degree of immature behavior might be expected at this level. So faculty might dismiss some behaviors as just being attributed to youth. For example, many students who first enter a bachelor's degree program are away from home for the first time. There's access to substances, depending on where they are. So again, there's this idea that it's their opportunity to cut loose. So it's easy to see here how gatekeepers might miss personality factors, again, thinking that something else is going on. Now, when applying for a graduate program, let's just say a master's degree, we see a high level of scrutiny here. Specifically, we see faculty looking for extreme personality traits, lack of insight, and immaturity. So there are many more safeguards in place at this level than we see at the bachelor's level. This is actually the best opportunity to prevent someone not suited for the field from becoming a clinician. It's best for the person. If somebody has narcissistic personality disorder, they're probably not cut out to be a counselor. So this just prevents them from wasting time, worrying about the program, and they can go do something else where they can be more productive. It's best for society, of course, because it prevents the public from being endangered by many of the narcissistic behaviors. And it's best for clinicians already in the field because they won't have to be exposed to narcissistic colleagues. So one question I get here a lot is, do programs let people know why they don't get in, right? So if somebody did have symptoms of NPD, if they had just general narcissistic symptoms, would they be notified of that? It really depends on the program. I would say most of the time, no. Most of the time, they really wouldn't be told why. And there are pros and cons to this, which are kind of beyond the scope of this video, but one could make an argument that 
this is a good idea. And one could also make an argument that this means that the person might go apply for another program when they probably shouldn't. So a lot of different thoughts on this. Now, most programs actually do a pretty good job at qualifying candidates for the field, but not all do. How do some individuals with NPD manage to get through this stage? They typically have superficial charm and they have an abundance of confidence. The superficial charm helps them to avoid detection, at least temporarily, and the confidence makes them appear to be strong candidates. So actually, in this interviewing and admissions process that a lot of programs have, these narcissistic behaviors could actually help somebody to get in, right? So it's important to have well-trained faculty who have experience trying to detect these types of extreme personality traits. Now, even if this safeguard fails and a person with NPD manages to get into a program, getting through the program is really a different story. It still may be very challenging. Many of these programs stress interpersonal skills. They place some degree of stress on students. And sometimes, of course, stress activates extreme personality traits. They require students to work in groups. And of course, in a group, somebody with NPD is really going to stand out. Many trained clinicians are observing the students for this period of time. So the vast majority of the time, if they are not detected at admission, they will be detected and stopped sometime before they graduate. So that, of course, leads to the next kind of obvious question. How can an individual with NPD make it all the way through an entire program, right? How do they get through admissions and then go through three years or so to get like a master's degree? Well, detection is different than being stopped. When detection happens, it usually leads to some type of remediation a chance to make things right, to come into line with the standards of that program. An individual with NPD may comply with remediation efforts, even though they may find the process offensive beneath them and insulting. This is really not unlike when somebody with NPD really victimizes one person, like a romantic partner. But when other people come around, they act like a little angel, right? So sometimes they can, especially for short periods of time, turn these behaviors on and off. Now, again, over a period of three years or more, I think that would be difficult to maintain, right? There are going to be moments where that narcissism comes through, but still it may be possible. They could decide to fail to act in a certain way in order to enjoy the benefit of moving through the program. Now, another possibility here is the individual with NPD may fluctuate between grandiose and vulnerable states. Usually we think of NPD as featuring more grandiose characteristics, but it's not uncommon for somebody with grandiose characteristics to manifest vulnerable characteristics from time to time. Now, faculty may misinterpret this change over to vulnerable states as representing progress. So they see shame and guilt and a hypersensitivity to criticism, and they think, oh, this person finally realized what we were talking about. They're making adjustments to their behavior, right? They realized what they were doing wrong. This is simply just a failure to understand the disorder, to understand narcissism in general, and specifically narcissistic personality disorder. We hear stories of this happening from time to time. I don't think this is an everyday occurrence in various programs, but this definitely does happen. And I think this is probably one of the key ways that somebody, especially with extreme traits, manages to get through. They move into a vulnerable state, and people kind of feel sorry for them and think that they're seeing some type of change. And then before you know it, they've graduated. Families have a lot going on. 
Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Now, a lot of people think that the lack of insight we see with NPD means that people with this disorder cannot make adjustments in behavior. But as I mentioned before, that's really not the case. For example, they may see that their arrogance is aggravating their classmates and that it's attracting negative attention. They may stop because they don't want the negative attention without ever realizing why other people were upset by that behavior. So the lack of insight is still there, but yet they have a behavioral change in a pro-social direction. So again, it looks like they made a meaningful change, but in reality, they probably did not. Now, what if an individual with NPD makes it into a program and then makes it through the program? Are there any other safeguards in place? Are there any other checkpoints that they need to get past? Is there any other hope that they will be prevented from attempting to treat clients? Well, yes, the postgraduate hours are another opportunity for somebody with NPD to be stopped from moving forward. The problem here, of course, is that the supervisor may assume that the person made it this far, so they must be fit for the field. So a number of faculty have looked at this person and determine they're okay to graduate. So one lone supervisor may think, what do I know that these people didn't know? This person must be fit for the field. It really takes a confident supervisor and one with a lot of knowledge about personality disorders to say something like, wait a second, something's not right here. And I'm willing to have a different opinion than all these other faculty members had. I'm willing to look at the situation and call it for how I see it. Also, supervisors tend to advocate for their supervisees. This is just kind of a natural part of supervision. Sometimes they do this even if there are red flags. Now, if an individual makes it past this stage, they're going to apply for licensure. So the system has failed to stop them. Now they are in. Now they're part of the field. I'm not aware of any statistics that track how often this happens. I believe it's actually remarkably uncommon. Again, just because of the number of safeguards and the amount of time it takes to go through the program and the postgraduate hours. In my career, I've run into about five to six clinicians who I'm pretty sure would meet the criteria for NPD. I can't diagnose them, of course, and I didn't, but we can all look at different symptoms and kind of think, okay, it seems pretty likely they might have this disorder. So again, five to six times, and in my career, I've certainly met hundreds and hundreds of clinicians, so that's not a huge number. Zero would be a better number, of course, but there's always going to be, again, some people that can get through, even with the extreme personality traits. Also, it's important to recognize that severity is important. If somebody has pronounced symptoms, that really increases the chances that they will be prevented from entering in the field. If they have kind of a moderate or mild case, 
it's a lot easier for them to get through these different checkpoints. Now, if all the safeguards do fail, that leads us to the next question. Are clinicians with NPD impaired professionals? So for example, if we look at substance use disorder, it's generally accepted that if somebody has an active substance use disorder, that they are impaired from being a psychotherapist, right? That's recognized in many jurisdictions. There are even programs in place to address that. So if a clinician has a substance use disorder that's developing and they recognize that or someone else recognizes that, they can get help. They have to take a break from being a clinician, but they can get help and possibly get restored back to a practicing clinician. Interestingly, there are no programs like that that I'm aware of for individuals with narcissistic personality disorder. There probably should be. Now, to answer this question, we need to take a look at the disorder itself, right? This question about impairment. NPD is a cluster B personality disorder in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. So it's in the dramatic erratic cluster. It has nine symptom criteria. At least five are required for a diagnosis. So the nine criteria, a grandiose sense of self-importance, fantasies of success and power, a feeling of being special or unique, requiring excessive admiration, a sense of entitlement, being manipulative, having a lack of empathy, envying other people or believing that other people envy you, and being arrogant and condescending. Now, for somebody to qualify as having one of these symptoms, it really has to represent a pervasive pattern, not a rare or one-time thing. Everybody from time to time is going to feel special or feel entitled or have fantasies about being powerful. It's when it really represents something that occurs frequently over a long period of time that somebody could meet that particular symptom criterion. Often when somebody is assigned this diagnosis, they do have more than five symptoms. So even though five is the minimum, usually we see seven, eight, or nine in people that have the disorder. But for the sake of argument, let's just look at this and assume that somebody would only have five, right? So that a lot of people with NPD only have five of the symptoms. Is there any combination of these five symptoms that would not render a clinician impaired? Well, taking a look at these, we know that manipulation, if somebody's manipulative often, that's really not compatible with being a counselor. If somebody has a lack of empathy, that's incompatible with the values of the field as well. Arrogance could probably cause impairment, again, if it happened often. So those three are probably out. That leaves us with another six to evaluate. Could somebody have a grandiose sense of self-importance and not be impaired? Maybe. How about fantasies of success and power? That's possible. A lot of people could have those fantasies and it wouldn't necessarily affect their work. How about excessive admiration, that need for excessive admiration? I'm not sure about this one. Certainly, if it entered into a counseling session, that would be destructive. The sense of entitlement, I would say this probably wouldn't work most of the time. And in terms of envy, maybe some of the time that wouldn't have an effect, but overall, envy would probably be problematic too. So as we can see here, it really is challenging to find a combination of five symptoms that would not cause impairment. Is it possible? Maybe, but it's really hard to imagine that this could happen. So what happens if an individual with NPD who is impaired makes it through all the safeguards, they get a license, and they're actively practicing? So somebody's an impaired professional with NPD. What actually happens? Well, usually nothing. They attempt to work their way up into management, typically. There's a lot of 
dominant behavior and again, like an extreme level of confidence, which could actually help them move up. And in these roles, they cause more damage in even more ways, right? They harass clinicians, which increases turnover. They make decisions without regard for how clients are affected, setting unrealistic policies for agencies, making clients complete unnecessary paperwork, overreacting to symptoms. For example, assuming that someone is intoxicated if they look tired, like jumping to that conclusion, or assuming that if somebody's angry, they're going to become violent, right? So a lot of unhelpful behaviors we see as the impaired professional kind of moves up the ladder as they get more time in the field. So just because usually nothing happens doesn't mean that clinicians and clients can't take action. Of course, a clinician can be reported to whatever agency they work for. I would recommend indicating specific behaviors instead of necessarily saying, here's what personality traits are there, refer to specific behaviors. Individuals could also do the same thing with the regulatory agencies that maintain licensure, that oversee licensure. They can make a report to those agencies as well. But realistically, there's not a lot that can be done in many instances, and this is fairly unfortunate. Again, we recognize substance use disorder as impairing, but we're not quite as advanced when it comes to personality disorders. We haven't quite caught up with science in that regard. So there are a few individuals with personality disorders, including narcissistic personality disorder, who are impaired, who have a license and are practicing, and not much is being done about it. Right. So there's an area for progress here, right? There's an area where we can see we need to make improvements in the system. Now, some important notes here. As I mentioned before, having a disorder is not really the standard. Being incompetent is what's problematic, right? So competency is the standard. Not all bad behavior that clinicians exhibit is related to narcissism. Not all of it is related to other personality disorder factors either, right? So sometimes clinicians just make mistakes. They just do things that are unhelpful. That doesn't necessarily indicate extreme personality traits. Also, NPD, of course, doesn't appear to be consistent with competent practice for counselors. But for other professions, it may be a different story. NPD may actually be helpful in politics, acting, or among professional athletes, right? Where appearing larger than life actually kind of fits the expectation. Now, there aren't a lot of jobs in those areas as compared to other areas. But I think it is important to note that just because somebody has this disorder, it doesn't mean that they're not a good fit anywhere in society in terms of employment. For more content like this, check out Healthy Toxic, another podcast from Ars Longa Media, all about what makes or breaks relationships, including issues related to narcissism, narcissistic abuse, and how personality disorders affect relationships. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis. Learn more at ArsLonga.media. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, full work limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.